Good morning, everyone. Today we have a, a beautiful contribution from some of the women in our community. Uh, they put together a compelling video to communicate what they learned from the book they read together last summer called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Uh, the book is about God's heart for racial reconciliation. I watched the video earlier this week and was just moved by each of the, the pieces, each of the women who shared different perspectives. Uh, these women don't pretend to know everything about racial harmony, but they, I think, model for us a humble spirit of listening and learning, which is an example for us all. Of course, God wants us to have a heart for racial harmony. I mean, I'm standing right at 184 Broad Street looking out the windows of the city. Uh, there are so many different kinds of people all around, even just a one or two mile radius right from the church, right around the church. And so even more so, um, our heart burns for racial harmony. The Lord is the one as we know, who actually designed us in a way that the colors of our skin would look differently over time, depending on our geographical location. Uh, just like in art, there are no bad colors. The Lord intends for all the different colors of people made in his image to work together to make something stunning. The very reality is that uh, someone with one color of skin Hating someone else with another color of skin is not just wrong, but it's an insult to the creator who made all people in his image. I think we have a lot of work to be done in America to heal racial divides. Um, while we don't know for sure that every single act of violence against black and brown people and Asian people and other races is racially motivated, we have to at least recognize that the amount of violence against certain people groups is, is disturbing. It's alarming. As you know, just this week, uh, six Asian women and two others were killed by a young white man and many are, you know, kind of quick to say, well, it wasn't a racially motivated thing. It was a religious thing. Um, but motive, motives are very complex. And I think, really, that is to miss the point, to oversimplify it. The fact is, six Asian women were killed. And that affects the Asian community in our country. That reminds Asians who live in this nation that there have been thousands of violent acts against Asians since the pandemic started. And many of these acts of violence were irrefutably racist. I just pray that we would weep with those who weep. That's always the, the posture that I'm going to encourage during these times. And I pray that we would just have a humble spirit this morning as we listen to um, the words that these 
powerful women have to share with us. So let's, let's watch the video now. Hi, Ren Church. My name is Jennifer, and I'm so happy to be with you here this morning. Today, I'd like to take the opportunity to tell you about a book club that I participated in this summer um, at Wren. We read a book called Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. It's written by Latasha Morrison. Today, some of the members of our group are going to share their experiences with you from that group. And we want to just first start by acknowledging that today you will be hearing from the perspective of four white women. And we know that this is obviously not ideal in a conversation of racial reconciliation. We also want to say that we're not suggesting that in any way we have arrived at knowing all that there is to know about this topic. We're learning, and we might make mistakes but know that our words are coming from a place of love. And we also want to invite you, um, if you hear something that stirs you, to join in this conversation with us as we continue to seek God's heart for racial reconciliation. During the course of the study, we acknowledge the ways in which racism has impacted our society and also our own experiences. We examined ourselves and the ways in which we have knowingly or unknowingly contributed to racism. We confessed our sin to each other, and we repented. We lamented and allowed ourselves to feel the shame of um, guilt and our sin and sit in it for a while. And then we dreamed of a world where all colors and nations were in perfect unity, proclaiming who God is in their own unique ways. So before I get into my own story, I'd like to start with a prayer of acknowledgement and lament from the book. It's written by Elizabeth Burns. So would you pray with me? Lord, as we become aware of the intensity of racial divide, our hearts are broken. Help us not rush from this place of hurting to triumph or repair, but rather lament as you call us to do. May our lament be a form of worship, a joining of our hearts with yours, as we grieve the lack of your kingdom justice here on earth. Strengthen us for this path. Without you, the overwhelming depth of the problems that must be addressed and acknowledged would be devastating. We know that you mourn with us and you comfort us as we mourn with one another. In Christ's holy name, amen. My own journey learning about the topic of race started about 15 years ago when I went away to college. It was the first time that I met a black person. I was really curious. I wanted to learn everything that I could. So I read books, and I went to lectures, and I showed up at campus group meetings for minorities, and I asked a lot of inappropriate questions, and I went about it in all of the wrong ways. Then in 2012, I moved to Haiti, and I experienced for the first time what it was like to be marginalized based on the color of my skin. And as a white person in a majority black culture, I experienced prejudice in the extremes. On one hand, I was mistreated and excluded based on the color of my skin. I was even a victim of physical violence, and at times I lived in great fear. And on the other hand, I was treated like a queen, like I was above the law because of my whiteness. And all of this was really confusing. When I came back to the States in 2015, I thought that my own experiences with prejudice somehow gave me a sort of credibility among persons of color in America. So I spoke on behalf of others, 
and I let my own experiences speak louder than the experiences of those around me. But I didn't do it on purpose. I did it because I didn't fully understand the ways that centuries of enslavement have impacted not just America, but our entire world. I didn't recognize that the very re reason that I experienced prejudice in the first place was because my white skin represents centuries of exploitation of people of color. So while I may have been mistreated or marginalized based on the color of my skin, this was in no way the same experience that many centuries of historical and generational trauma bring. My experiences were not the same as my brothers and sisters of color in America because I do not carry with me the history of being oppressed and exploited. I feel deep sorrow for discounting the experiences of others and especially for ignoring the impacts of a structure of racism that is so widespread that it permeates the entire globe. So this is just my story, but I'd like you to hear from other members of our group as well. Hi, Renaissance. It's Stephanie Berninger. I wanted to share what's been on my heart since this summer reading Be the Bridge with these wonderful ladies. Two ideas that really keep coming back to me that Latasha Morrison shares about in her book are the ideas of lament and confession. Morrison shares that one of the reasons that the American church has struggled so much with racial reconciliation is that we never really acknowledged and lamented the painful history of racism in our country, nor have we acknowledged and lamented the painful day-to-day -day reality of many of our brothers and sisters of color who experience racism in their day-to-day -day lives. When we encounter evil, God actually wants us to experience sorrow and to use that sorrow to help ourselves learn and change and repent. One of the passages from Morrison's book that has really stuck with me describes the importance of lament, so I'm just gonna read it for you. We can't shy away from the conversations just because they're uncomfortable or awkward or unpleasant. We can't change the subject because issues of racism make us feel bad. Instead, we have to have the hard conversations so that we can move to a place of deep lament. To lament means to express sorrow or regret. Lamenting something horrific that has taken place allows a deep connection to form between the person lamenting and the harm that was done. And that emotional connection is the first step in creating a pathway for healing or hope. We have to sit in the sorrow. Avoid trying to fix it right away. Avoid our attempts to make it all okay. Only then is the pain useful. Only then can it lead us into healing and wisdom. This is something that I've slowly been working on in my own life, being willing to lament our country's history of racism and allowing that lament to lead me into repentance. Sometimes that repentance is more communal, um, kind of acknowledging and lamenting things that I didn't participate in personally, but that deserve my sorrow and my grief. Sometimes it has been more personal. 
as part of our group, we had difficult discussions sharing ways large and small in which we've been complicit in racist systems or in which we feel that we have failed our brothers and sisters of color. In July 2020, Ren made a beautiful video called Uplifting Black Voices, in which some of our black brothers and sisters very vulnerably shared their hearts, their experiences uh, with being black in our church and in our country. As a group, we learned a lot from these testimonies, and we discussed them and um, really let them sink in. One that sticks with me was from David Karambizi, who shared his experience of walking down the street and feeling that people are actually afraid of you. He talked about seeing a white woman who had just come out of her house, notice him walking through her neighborhood and go back into the house to avoid him. These stories and others like it inspire me to repentance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for buying into the cultural lie and stereo the cultural lies and stereotypes about black men. I'm sorry for the times that I have been that woman on the street who looked at a black man with fear instead of seeing in him the image of God. I'm sorry for not always listening well when my brothers and sisters express their experiences of racism. I'm sorry for failing to speak up when someone made a racist comment. I'm sorry for staying in my comfort zone, for not asking why so many of my friends look like me, for not embracing God's full vision for diversity in his body. I want to end with two quotes from Morrison. The sin of racism disrupts God's order of justice and righteousness. It denies the image of God in our brothers and sisters. And though we must name our individual sin, we also must confess our corporate sin. Lament recognizes the truth and helps us connect with God and our neighbors. And through lament, through the night of weeping, we can experience new joy in the morning. Hello, church. Catherine here. I wanted to share with you what I've learned this year. In the book, Be the Bridge, Latasha Morrison states, truth, unvarnished and unfiltered, is essential to the work of sanctification, freedom, and reconciliation. So what is truth in the context of racial reconciliation? The truth is that each ethnicity reflects a unique aspect of God's image. No one tribe or group of people can adequately display the fullness of God. In the wake of last summer, Wanting to really know God's heart for racial justice, I began listening to more black writers, preachers, and teachers of the church, such as Latasha Morrison and Lisa Fields and Dr. Vince Bantu from the Jude 3 Project, Justin Gibney from the Anne Campaign, Dr. Tony Evans, Basila Shire, Pastor Charlie Dates, Dr. Esau McCauley, and Jackie Hill Perry. In the past year, these black leaders have shaped my faith more than I could imagine and have shown me what the kingdom of God is all about. One way that's happened is seeing the darker skin tones of people in the Bible. In an interview of Dr. Yusama Kali on his book, Reading While Black, he pointed out the African presence in the Bible from Joseph's sons in Genesis, who are part Hebrew and part Egyptian, 
to the man who helped Jesus carry the cross, Simon of Cyrene of northern Africa in modern-day Libya. Also the Ethiopian eunuch, the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, studying the scriptures and committing his life to Jesus, being black excellence and being a model of faith for the kingdom of God that involves all ethnicities. Another thing is learning about the presence of Christianity in early Africa from women in the church like Perpetua and Felicitas in Carthage of modern-day Tunisia, or St. Augustine of Hippo from uh, uh, modern-day Algeria, one of the most influential leaders of Christian thought. I'm blessed by the Jude 3 project highlighting Christianity in early Africa, which was present long before colonialism. And I'm just beginning to wrap my head around the richness of the black church in America, its legacy of holding the Bible as God's word and fighting for justice. I say all this to say, I'm limited in what I know. I need black and brown people in the church to show us what God is doing. Racial segregation was never ever his plan. I need the whole church to disciple me. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing if I overlook the practice of repentance. I'm a sinner. I'm corrupted by white supremacy. It's mixed in a number of things I do wrong or benefit from. God is working on my heart so I too can share the message of the gospel and the cry for racial justice in our churches and communities together, which the black church has had to model. I don't want to be a barrier. Taking in black biblical and church history helps me to see what God is doing all along, how he brings in all the nations and all the people groups into his story of redemption. I don't want to miss out on what he's doing, how he places his image in a diversity of people, how each person and tribe helps each other know God better. The collective creates the whole picture. It's the body of Christ. It's the kingdom of God found in every shade of skin and texture of hair and color of eyes. God's multifaceted beauty through his church found in the ways we express our worship and devotion to God, influenced by our ethnic background and cultural circles. As it says to King Jesus in Revelation 5, 9 and 10, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. To my Christian sisters and brothers who are a different, who are a different ethnic background than me, I see your blackness, I see your brownness, I see your Haitianness. I see your Puerto Ricanness, your Burmese qualities, your Chinese qualities. I want to learn from you about God and his goodness and truth. I need you and want to be for you in Jesus' name. I am amazed when I think about how Holy Spirit prepares our hearts for what comes next and how when we're walking with him and letting him guide us, he really does have us exactly where we're supposed to be. My colorblind bubble was burst a few years ago when I was watching the Ruby Bridges movie and the year flashed across the screen and I thought to myself, wait a minute, my dad was a teenager then. That wasn't that long ago. Racism can't be just a thing of the past. I started thinking a lot about that and being drawn to movies like Just Mercy and The Green Book. 
and then 2020 happened and Ahmaud Aubrey was killed and Breonna Taylor was killed and George Floyd was killed. And I listened to the voices and experiences of my friends of color. And I went within and found my own racist thoughts and ideas. And I asked the question, what does Jesus think about this? Because that's really the question for a Christian, right? Where is God's heart in all of this? Um, and a friend, Tanika Ortiz and Wren member, um, introduced us to Latasha Morrison and the Be the Bridge book and the beautiful but heartbreaking and painful yet life-giving process of racial reconciliation. And we can hope to continue to grow in that so we can love each other and celebrate each other as image bearers of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Take your wrongdoing out of my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Search for justice. Help the oppressed. Be just to the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let's talk this over, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We confess. With one voice and in humility, we acknowledge that we sat by while image bearers were dehumanized. We acknowledge that silence is complicity and that your word requires us to do more. We acknowledge that we have valued property over people and greed over grace. We have protected material objects while image bearers have had their lives taken, property stolen, and dignity rejected. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. We confess. Father, we confess our sins to you. We confess that we have unknowingly and knowingly turned a blind eye to the plight of our neighbor. We confess that we have sought our personal comfort instead of justice for all. We confess that we have sought power over peace. We confess that we have let pride get in the way of progress. We confess that we have sought revenge instead of reconciliation. We humbly ask that you forgive us of our sins and give us hearts that seek your kingdom principles at all times, even in the face of discomfort and opposition. We repent. Lord, where we were silent on issues of injustice, we now commit to speaking up boldly for biblical justice in our land. We repent. Lord, where we once prioritized our comfort, we now commit to picking up our crosses and bearing them with the same grace and humility as your son, Jesus. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You forgive. Lord, we understand that forgiveness is a personal act leading us onto a path of healing. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, and love keeps no record of wrongs. God, give us the grace to love and forgive one another. 
Help us to look at our neighbors and see your children, not our enemies. You reconcile. Help us to rebuild the bridge broken by white supremacy with justice, love, grace, and mercy. You reconcile. Help us to always be willing to share the truth and give us the grace to share that truth with love so the person hearing it experiences conviction and not condemnation. We know that conviction brings repentance and that repentance brings change. You reconcile. Lord, grant us humility needed to position ourselves as learners. Give us grace to hear from people whom society may have deemed less than. Bless us with the vision to look at the oppressed and see them as people to learn from, not just people who need our assistance. Help us to identify, appreciate, and respect the gifts you've placed in them, just as much as we identify, appreciate, and respect our own. You reconcile. Lord, help us to walk in courage as we invite others along on this journey. Give us the grace to endure any ridicule or rejection we may experience for the sake of sharing your truth. Help us know that the potential of rejection doesn't compare to the potential of helping another one of your children to open his or her eyes to the truth of your word. Amen. Amen. Wow. hard to follow that. <laughs> yeah, I think that one thing that really stirred my heart is just the spirit of humility and just trying to understand and trying to listen. I think that with with all these these things, we always want to find how God wants us to think you know as Christians we are to think the way the Lord thinks we have the mind of Christ and so that that's a, a challenging process often to you know to come out of the bubble of our very narrow perspective uh, and, and, and try to grasp something of God's way of thinking about these things and how do you do that? I think, obviously, you go to the Word of God. Uh, what does the Word of God say about, about justice? What does it say about um, all different kinds of people? Uh, what's God's vision? What is God angry about in, in that regard? There's a lot there in Scripture, a lot. And so to just kind of take it take it in and let it sink in. It can help us. Um, I think as these ladies modeled for us, I think just listening as well to um, the stories of people, people who have experienced racism firsthand. I think <clears throat> on both levels, I think, uh, you know, kind of big picture, maybe watching certain movies, uh, documentaries. Courtney mentioned Just Mercy. That was excellent. I, I think these kinds of things can 
help us because they're, they're stories told uh, to help us to see from a different perspective. That's the power of art. Um, but also, and maybe even more importantly, is uh, just talking with each other. I mean, we're the body of Christ. Uh, we are the body of Christ. I mean, we're in, in the city, in, in Renaissance churches, pretty diverse as a church. But even if we weren't uh, diverse, uh, we still are part of this universal body of Christ. Um, and the, just the fact is, people of color who are family, are part of God's family, have stories of pain to share. And I think those have been the most powerful for me. I mean, I've definitely watched a lot of documentaries and movies and have just wept my eyes out, just, you know, kind of taking it in and letting God break my heart. But it's not quite the same as when you talk with a friend or somebody that you know personally, you know they're not lying. Uh, some of my pastor friends, for example, I, I just, they're, they're not trying to spin anything. You know, they, they don't have an agenda at all. Uh, they're, they're just saying, this, this happened to me. This is what happened to me. And it was really, really, really painful and humiliating. And many have had uh, multiple experiences like that. So I think just hearing them can change our perspective, as I forgot which of the women were talking about how when you lament with someone, when you enter into their pain, when you sit with them in their pain, you, uh, you, you it, it changes you, that emotion that emotional connection with people uh, shapes the way you think. It just changes your language. It changes the way you uh, criticize. You know the the way it just changes how you approach the whole situation. You come at it much softer, much more hum humble. Uh, you come at it with a. You just come at it from a different place because, like, these are your. Like, these are your people. You know, these are your friends. This is the family of God. You know, the, the part of the family of God is being mistreated and, in some cases, killed. Uh, and that, that matters. That, sh that should matter to us. So I'm, I'm just thankful uh, for these women for being vulnerable and putting this video together. Um, also, Shana, who uh, filmed it and, and kind of, I guess, directed it. So I'm really appreciative of that. But I commend their courage because it is very easy. I've done it at times. It's just very easy to tune it all out. It's just so, it's so crazy, you know. The, just stay away from social media, seriously. It's just so toxic. I mean, maybe go on once a day, you know check the news and just see a few things. But it's just an unhealthy environment. And it's not just social media. It's all the, you know, video content, all the, just all the stuff out there. There's just such a toxic dialogue. It's not really a dialogue. Just people, you know, screaming at each other. We need to really 
hear God's heart come in from a different spirit. And uh, but like I said, you know, it's easy to tune it all out. It's also easy to shy away from uncomfortable conversations. I know I've definitely done that at times. And I've also done the opposite at times, is put myself in situations that were incredibly uncomfortable. I could list many, but, you know, just dreading it, feeling sick over even being part of different things. And yet it's been good for me, you know, to, to do that. I still have a lot to learn. Um, I am in no way have arrived at all. I just, you know, I come from a very limited perspective. I come from, you know, the suburbs in Massachusetts. Um, and we, we bordered Springfield, so it's not like we didn't see black people, but there were definitely huge prejudices in our high school, um, in, in our families, uh, growing up. And it's, it's a slow thing to change that and to, to even be self-aware of the different biases that, that we have. And it's like layers. It's just layers and layers and layers and layers. And the more honest you are, the more you see. It's, it's a little like sin, isn't it? You know, when you first came to Jesus, it was like, oh, yeah, I've repented of all my sins. And now I love Jesus, you know, and we're, we're kind of simple about it. And then we realize, oh, there's more. And the Lord starts dealing with our pride or selfishness or just the way we treat people or any number of things, our attitudes, our complaining. We realize, I've been a Christian for 32 years and I'm still peeling away layers of my own sin and allowing God to make me more like more like Jesus. Uh, even after 32 years, I have a long way to go to be like Jesus. I think I can say I'm becoming like him more and more every year, praise God. And I'm becoming less and less, uh, you know, racist uh, every single year, but I would be, I think I would be a fool to say, oh, I have been completely extracted from any sin or any kind of racist view in me. Um, I, you know, we need to be open. Let's just let God shape us. Uh, let's not be proud. Well, I'm going to finish up the book of Ephesians today, just these last few verses, uh, 21 to 24. And I'll read the verses. They say this. Paul is just kind of ending his letter. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's a nice way to end a letter. And I don't think that uh, Paul had any deep secret meaning to these uh, closing words. I think he was just 
pretty much just ending his letter in, in a typical way that, that Paul did, kind of reminding us of the grace of God and sort of encouraging affection or expressing affection. Paul had much love for the churches. But he mentions a few things that I believe are worthy of attention. Paul, as you know, hopefully by now, you know that he was in prison when he wrote this epistle. And he tells the church in Ephesus that he's sending this guy that we don't know much about, Tychicus, but I guess he was one of the fellow ministers. But he's sending Tychicus to uh, share with the brothers and sisters in Ephesus. And he says this, that you may know how I am and what I am doing. <laughs> it's a simple sentence, but I just it really stuck out to me. It jumped out at me this week as I read it. And I thought, that's a good place to drop my anchor and just think about that for a while and connect it to even what uh, the lady shared in the video. One of the most basic practices in the Christian life is caring for one another. When love is present, we want to know how our brothers and sisters are doing. Uh, it's a common greeting in America, right, to say, how are you doing? How are you? <laughs> but the problem, if you haven't noticed, is, is that we really don't mean that. It's funny that people come from other countries, uh, like when I was in Bible college, for example, a lot of the international students were really baffled by how we say, you know, if we, we say, how are we doing? Uh, the international students would, would stop and begin to share, but we're just like blowing by them because it means, it just means hello in America. But in the church, there really should be a culture of, of caring. Uh, we should want to know how each other is doing, and we should be thinking about each other and praying for each other. I'm not saying that we should be acquainted with everyone in the church. Uh, it's really not possible. Um, there are hundreds of people in the Renaissance church family, including core members and attenders, attendees, um, even people who have drifted away, but we still kind of consider them family, and just many other people who are casually connected to the Renaissance church family. And we have our own circles, right, to care for, our own family and friends, and it, it's a lot, right, when you add it up. And if you're older, the circle just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. If you've moved around to different cities, the circle just keeps on growing. So it, it's hard to tend to all the different people uh, that are in our life, but we need to do the best we can to express care for one another in the church. I think small groups uh, really help in this regard, and if you're not in a small group, we're going to start a, a new cycle of small groups after Easter. I just really encourage that. There's something about, especially during the pandemic and as we, you know, aren't, still aren't reopened, uh, we just need each other like that. We just need a small circle of people we can share with. Well, there are a few other verses in the Word that I want to direct your attention to on this theme of caring to help us understand what it means. Consider these verses from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. It says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Everybody's favorite verse. 
Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. This is a very specific call to care for those who are in prison or mistreated. I don't think it could be any more clear, right? The writer, probably Paul, uh, puts it so strongly that he adds this phrase, quote, as though in prison with them, unquote. If we were in prison with them, we would feel the full range of the rotten conditions or the injustices. He's encouraging us to put ourselves in the shoes of people who are in prison or mistreated or maybe persecuted around the world to imagine what they're experiencing strive to feel what they feel. Again, art, I think, helps us to do this. You know, you can't just think about it for two seconds. You have to really, you have to use your imagination. You have to really do whatever you can to make it real to your own heart. Um, Again, art, I think, just helps. You know, just hearing people's stories, Uh, Much of art is the telling of stories. Uh, The power of film can certainly do that. It's just telling stories, often true stories, or stories of things that kind of happen. They're not based necessarily on a specific true story, but these are the kinds of things that happen. And it allows us, right? Art kind of allows us to feel it, experience it. So move toward those things and not away from them. You know, sometimes when it's time to uh, pick out a movie or to uh, read a book, I'm not saying we we shouldn't do this uh, sometimes, but we we just, you know, we we always go toward uh, things that are, you know, just light and fluffy, and we just want to feel happy, and let's just watch something that that makes us feel, feel happy. Let's just read something that's like light reading. And again, I think there's a time for that. We can't be heavy all the time, but uh, at least make some of your choices, uh, you know, difficult content. Um, Documentaries or movies that they're not easy to watch. Um, I think it's just important to do that and and let let it affect your heart. There's more to say about that, but let me keep moving here. I think of this uh, concept they were talking about of just, you know, caring. In light of minority races uh, suffering violence and verbal attacks, as I said before, many of them are, are they're, they're part of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture invites us to lament with them, as someone said in the video, to sit with them in their pain. When a brother or sister in Christ is weeping, what's our job? I mean, we don't we don't turn away, we don't you know undermine their weeping. We don't question, it's not time to question their experience. I think I brought this up before with uh, women who have had stories of maybe being harassed or even raped, 
Um, it's just ridiculous to question. I'm not saying that every testimony of every single person out there is true, but especially when a brother or sister in Christ is uh, sharing. I, th- I, I think it's godly to have our posture more believing than more not believing of people. We should be ever ready to believe people. Um, again, you know, sometimes people fabricate things and make up stories to get attention or whatever. That, of, co- of course we know that happens. But let's not get cynical. I think everybody's in that category. Uh, it certainly is not the case at all. In fact, the overwhelming majority, in my heart, as is my opinion, <laughs> the overwhelming majority of uh, women who have testified about experiences of being harassed or raped or uh, people of color who have experienced different I just think the overwhelming majority are just telling the truth. Uh, there's really no reason to lie. Um, I want to read a little portion from Romans 12 that says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Then he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. A couple chapters later, Paul says in Romans 14, don't quarrel about opinions. That's, that's relevant for today. I'm guilty of quarreling about opinion. I'm very intense. I'm very, I feel things very deeply. And I can be really strong about my views and my opinions. We just, we can't do that. We're going we're gonna to kill each other. I'm concerned about how things are going amongst Christians throughout the land. There's so much fighting and division. Paul said to the Galatians, bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he he says this, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What a warning. And I'm afraid this is, Exactly what's happening amongst many of God's people in our country. Uh, Christians have very strong opinions about politics, the pandemic, the vaccine, (laughs) and, and many, many, many other things. Here's what we need to avoid. Being dogmatic. 
Now, dogmatic, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with the word, but let me just give you the exact definition. It's, char- it's defined this way, characterized by or given to the expression of opinions very strongly or positively, here's the key part of it, as if they were facts. There are very, very few things that we should be dogmatic about. Very few. Like, Jesus is God. All right, we can go there. We know it. Christ died for our sins. Christ was risen from the dead. We should be holy. And maybe a dozen other things. But, but even the nuances of what those things actually mean, we have to realize that we are human. As you know, I often say sometimes, okay, I'm just past 50. Uh, I've only been here for 50 years. Like in the grand scheme of things, that's not very long. And I've, you know, spent a lot of time with my head in the sand or just doing drugs or doing stupid things or, you know, I've been asleep for a third of the time or maybe more. <laughs> you know, so like, what do I know? I've, I've learned a few things along the way. I mean, God's teaching me. I've read some things. I've met some people. Seriously? My opinion? Like, I, I don't know. Um, our perspectives are limited. We'd be wise to just recognize that. Now, it's not wrong to have an opinion. I'm going to continue to have opinions. I like to have opinions. But we should know that there's a huge difference between opinion and fact. It's okay to have a strong opinion, but let's just temper it with the humility to say, I wish you guys were all here uh, in this Space right now, because I'd have you repeat after me. I could be wrong. Go ahead, say it out loud in your living room. I could be wrong. Don't say it jokingly. Don't say, I could be wrong, but I'm usually not. Don't joke about it. You know, just, I could be wrong. That's humility. And what I'm saying will actually help you in all of your relationships. If you're married, if you're a parent, dealing with your children, children dealing with their parents, uh, siblings, quarreling about things, neighbors, employers, friends. I could be wrong. I think we teach in marital counseling the most important three words. We try to trick couples, of course, but most important three words uh, in a marriage is you could be right. That sounds like four words. Maybe you're right. That's what it is. Three words. Maybe you're right. As a pastor, I'll just say this. I need to uh, constantly make decisions about what to preach, uh, what statements to make, you know, when things happen in the world, uh, what to refrain from saying, when we should reopen, how we should spend money, should we hire more staff, should we stay in this building, for another five years, should we buy a new building? What missionaries should we support? What should we do? You know, on all different levels, there's so many decisions that leaders need to make. And the bigger an organization grows, the more complex the decisions get. Well, I just want to be honest, and this may shock you, I don't know, but most of the time, 
I am not absolutely sure what to do. I'm not saying there aren't occasions where the Spirit of God really speaks to me about something. Uh, There have been a few cases like that where I've been sort of dogmatic about, I really feel like I heard from God. You know, I don't want to budge from this. You know, I'm terrified to not do this particular thing because I feel like God is in it. So there are those times, and I think that's part of spiritual leadership. But really, that's not typical. After much prayer, usually, listening to everyone's opinions, thinking it all through, all I end up with is my opinion of what is best. And I could definitely be wrong. I have been wrong. I probably will be wrong in the future. (laughs) I have changed my opinions about a lot of different things through the years. I'm going to ask my wife, uh, ask people who started this church with me, uh, you know, in that the early days, early first three, four, five years, um, I have evolved in the way I've thought or in the way I think. Um, I know we don't like when leaders do that. We hate when politicians do that, right? Like, Oh, in 1993, they voted this way, and now they're voting this way. And we just say, see, they're ridiculous. They don't know anything. But the reality is that uh, leaders don't always know what's best. You know, they're constantly weighing the facts, synthesizing information to discern what is the best, you know, route to take. And we all know that bad motives can complicate that. Uh, But I think even leaders with golden motives struggle to know what is right. So I just want to encourage us to take a posture of humility toward one another, uh, not just about uh, racism, um, but also politics and the reopening, when we should reopen and all those kinds of things. Um, You know, thoughts about vaccines vaccinations and even theological things. There's just so many different things that we can quarrel about. Let's, from the beginning, we've always encouraged people, let's peacefully dialogue. And like I said, I, I, I need to work on that myself. So yeah, I just don't want us to be like that. Um, Like scripture says, we are the salt of the earth. We are reflections of Jesus, meek and lowly. We are peacemakers. Uh, We are or should be intellectually honest. If we don't know something for certain, then we we just say, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm still thinking it through. Or this is what I think. I could be wrong. And I think that It's part of what it means to be Christian, to be honest. Well, that's all I have. I just want to share one last thing with you. Uh, You're going to, if you're on the email list, which hopefully everyone is, if you're not on the email list, go to the website. Uh, Just Google Renaissance Church Providence. It'll come right up, and you can subscribe to our sort of weekly or maybe a couple times a week newsletter that we send out just to keep everybody in in the know about things. But um, shortly after we end the service, in a few moments, uh, we're going to send out an email. And in the email, it's going to have an invite and a link uh, to give you an opportunity 
to share a little bit about your story, just kind of uh, going off of this idea of how are you <laughs> and, and what, are, what are you doing and how can we pray for you? It's been hard not seeing each other quite the same way as we usually do. Um, so we just invite you to share. Not long. It can just be, you know, a, few, a paragraph if you want. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can just be simple. Just share it like you talk. Uh, we don't care about grammatical errors or anything. Just, you know, just share it. It could be a paragraph or two or three. Don't make anything too long. But uh, just share a little bit about what's happening with you. How can we pray for you? Uh, what's going on in your life? You know, if you're if you have a family, you can share a little bit about your family, and you know it, it can be raw if you want and share some of your struggles, or you can just kind of keep it general. Yeah, this is how I've kind of stayed busy in the last year. Um, this is how I could use prayer. Don't overthink it. <laughs> just you know, just share from your heart. And I really want to encourage everyone to uh, participate in this. And this is for everyone. You might think, well, I'm not a core member. That's fine. Whatever. You're part of the family. If you're watching right now, you're, you're family. Um, if you just re- attend once in a while or you're just kind of new to us, uh, that's fine. If you're casually related, just, you know, bring it in. You know, whether immediate family or extended family, we'd love to hear from you and just think how can we pray for each other uh, during this time. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that, uh, that content and we're going to uh, put it on a special page on our website that everyone will have access to. And so it'll be a, a place that we can go to and we can, it'll help us, I think, to pray for each other. And sometimes this is hard to pray, right? I mean, I have a list of everybody in the church that I, I think I was mentioning that recently, just a big piece of art paper that's all crumpled up and um, that I just, you know, I kind of look at different names on the list, just pray for people, pray for you, but I don't know what to pray for, you know, I mean, I kind of do sometimes, but uh, it'd be great to just, to help, not just me, but to help the whole church, to help all of us to think about each other and pray for each other uh, during this Easter season. So uh, again, you should be receiving that this afternoon, uh, maybe right after service. So just take a few minutes. Don't overthink it again. Just don't take a week to you know, just just do it. Just write it. Don't put it off till oh, let me see what everyone else is doing, and then then I'll write. Just just write it. Don't don't fuss with it. Don't fret over it. Just 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 share your heart. You know, pretend your best friend just texted you and said, "Hey, what are you up to? Um, how are you?" How can I pray? What would you write? Just write that. You know, don't filter it. Don't try to make it project some, this is some, just share, you know, just be honest. Uh, we, 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 that's what is going to help, I think, the most for us to, to pray for you. So, yeah, I'm excited about doing this. I'm excited to hear from you in that regard. I'm excited to see you soon as well. So what we're going to do, the weather's getting nice, um, Next week is Palm Sunday. The week after is Easter. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, our service most likely will be online just as we've been doing for Easter Sunday. We're, it seems like kind of crazy to try to do an Easter live service and have a million people come. And uh, it just we're, we're not quite there yet. We're not ready um, in that sense. But we do want to start gathering outside. 
And so what we have planned is uh, starting Easter weekend, um, we're going to just uh, pick a time in the afternoon. It, it may be a little different each week, depending on the weather, but pick a time and just meet in a park uh, for about an hour and just, you know, do a couple songs, you know, no sound system or anything like that. We'll just bring an acoustic or even no instruments at all and just sing a few songs. If you have kids, you don't have to like sit still through a program. I'm not going to preach. There's not going to be like serious prayers going on. Your kids are running all around and, you know, distract. It's no, but just come. The kids can run around. It'll be a wide open field and, you know, sing a few songs and, you know, the kids can be playing while songs are be singing. Just casual, Uh, but just as a way to get together and it'd be easy to social distance outside and um, you know, it's safe, obviously, outdoors. And so at least we're going to do that in April. I mean, maybe we'll open in May. I don't know. You know we're we're kind of getting to that point where I think we can start moving toward it. Uh, my only feeling, and this is just, again, my opinion, <laughs> uh, is that when we do open up, and I do have a council, so it's not all my decision, I'm trying to hear from everybody in the core membership, and also, obviously, the council has... It's about 12 people, 10 or 12 people that all have influence there. But um, my opinion is that it would be best if we reopened when everyone can come. Now, when I say everyone, it might not be every, everyone, but meaning all the different people groups, you know, the empty nesters, the singles, the college students, the families with little kids, uh, people who are older, I just want us all to come back. So it's not, you know, we did open for a little while, right? In the, whenever it was last summer, it was, I don't know, it wasn't great. You know, it was okay to do, but it, it was like, it was like not the church. It was just some of us and not all of us. Um, so I really want us all to come back together. I'm not sure when that is. We'll probably still have to wear masks, um, that's going to be around, I think, for a while. And we'll have to still, you know, do certain things. It's not going to be exactly the way it was before the pandemic, I'm sure. But uh, just pray. I guess I'm just sharing my heart, how I'm thinking about it. Uh, I just want God's timing with it. I want to do the right thing. I'm trying to make a wise decision. Uh, pray for me. Pray for the council of the church um, that we would have God's mind and we would do the right thing and uh but I I think we're we're moving toward it uh toward gathering soon so I'm excited about that well let me end in prayer thank you for listening this was a little longer service today but I appreciate you uh taking the time out and just hearing everything that was shared Jesus take the words that were spoken today uh not just in the preaching but in these videos and the things that these powerful women uh, shared with us. And I pray that you just cause the seeds to grow. Uh, let these truths go deep inside of us. Lord, we want to reflect your heart. We want to be for justice in the city. We want to be a church that is a house of prayer for all nations. We're serious about that, Lord. I pray that you would show us how to tear down walls. I pray that, uh, I was saying this to uh, to my friend Lori Hill last night, we were talking on the phone and I was saying, and we were kind of talking about how Wren has morphed slowly over the years. Like when she started uh, first coming, it, it was 
pretty dominant white, not totally, but, um, and she was, you know, not super comfortable with that, but she stuck it out, praise God. And, but over time, uh, you know, it, we, we diversified more. But, you know, I was saying to her, man, I hope the day comes when you look around on a Sunday morning and there are just hundreds of people and uh, they reflect the colors of the neighborhood. And, you know, I, I dream of that day when I walk into my own church and I am an extreme minority uh, because I should be because of our, the location of our church. Um, so, Lord, I ask for that dream to be fulfilled. Uh, there's so many things that discourage us from that. It's just so hard, God, to do that. But we pray for the working of your Holy Spirit to tear down every wall and to create a house of prayer for all nations that can be a testimony in the heart of this city. Jesus, that's way beyond anything we can do, but we know that you are able. Teach us your ways. Amen.